Ecclesiastes. Are we ready? Last week, you know, it, uh, uh, it could be a little bit of a downer, but don't worry. This week, even more so. So here we are. Nobody leave. Lock the doors. We're doing this. Uh, I think it's a great passage, but it is, a, it is one that we're going to need a journey through together. So we're going to do so. We're looking today at the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Uh, we're just going to look at the first eight uh, verses. Here is what it says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. In the days when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the women who grind cease working because they are few and those who look through the windows see dimly. When the doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. When one is afraid of heights, and terrors are in the road, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the caper bud falls. Because all must go to their eternal home, and the mourners will go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is broken at the fountain, and the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, all is vanity. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Creator God, the one who gave breath and who takes it away, the one who journeys with us from our first breath until our final breath. Wherever we are on that spectrum this morning, I pray that we would feel your presence and know that you have something to say to us. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, I have to say, this is a bit of a strange passage in many ways. And uh, it was not the one that we were originally uh, intending. Uh, Scott kind of put this uh, sermon series together. And today we are going to talk about um, one of the other kind of Solomonic uh, uh, um, books of the Bible, Proverbs. It was going to be uplifting, encouraging. And then the good Reverend Dr. Stan Johnson said, you should do a different passage. You should do Ecclesiastes 12. I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't all that familiar with this particular passage. I know I had never read it, and after, or I'd never uh, preached on it, I should say, and after reading it, I had read it. <laughs> I had, I promise. I promise. At some point. Uh, let's cut that on the tape here. I, um, 
after reading it again, um, I said to Stan, or I thought to Stan, Stan, if you like this passage so much, you should have preached on it. Because it's not very easy to understand. It's a poem of sorts. And as scholars look over it, what they say is that this is a passage on the challenge of aging. In fact, many, of, many folks call it an ode to death. And so I want us to go through this. And I want us to kind of go through it slowly at first because there are some kind of challenging passages or challenging verses to know exactly what it is. And again, there's not always complete agreement on each detail. So let's just kind of go through it a little bit slowly. Let's go through it. Start with verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's easy enough. Before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Someone has pointed out that the author of Ecclesiastes does not have any kind of illusions about the reality of getting old. He describes those times of saying, I have no pleasure in them. I, I'm reminded of how so many have said to me, I don't know who came up with the, the line, these are the golden years, but there's not much golden about them. Right? You've probably heard that. Maybe you've even said it. And it's true. It's a very difficult time. Friends who you've grown up with, right, they begin to pass away. Your calendar is no longer filled with work meetings or even perhaps lunches with friends or vacations. But what is the calendar oftentimes filled with? Doctor's appointments. No, literally. I mean, this is what it is. It's Monday. Is this the... Is this, is this when I see the cardiologist, the pulmonologist, or the dermatologist? I mean, it's, it's full. And again, this comes, not, this comes from my talking with so many of you. Say, this is what it's like going from one doctor's appointment to the next and trying to keep everything in line. And the truth is, it becomes increasingly difficult to find pleasure in days that are increasingly, it seems, filled with pain and with difficult and heartbreaking news. And so verse 2 says this, it says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. Most believe that this is pointing, of course, to the coming storm of death, to the reality that things grow darker in many ways the older you get and the closer that those storms come. Derek Kidner has this kind of, uh, has this quote on aging, which I found a little bit haunting but helpful. He says this, he says, in one's early years and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It is harder to adjust to the closing of that long chapter, to know that now in the final stretch, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal, but kill. 
I have to say, I never thought about aging in that way. I never thought about a sickness that just seems like not much for me. And the reality that every sickness, as you get older, there is this sense, is this the coming storm? As the clouds draw nearer, as it gets darker, and as the thunder of death begins to grow louder, that this is the reality in many ways of what it means as we continue to age. And it doesn't get any better. Verse 3 goes on. What does it say? It says, in the day when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the women who grind cease working because they are few and those who look through the windows see dimly. Now, the first couple of lines, of course, are somewhat simple to understand. We begin to tremble. You know this. You've seen this. Maybe you've experienced it. The older you get, the more trembles you have. Sometimes, perhaps even with Parkinson's or something like that, it's made even worse. You begin to tremble. Those who were once powerful are now bent over. One of the things that I was reminded when I read that is I've done many funerals over my life. And oftentimes, it's a funeral that only of those I've known when they're old. And when you go to the funeral and you see all the pictures and you see a young man or a young woman and there they are and they're strong and they're they're picking up things and they're on vacation and they look young and vibrant. I'll be honest and saying, what, this is the same person that I, that I knew over the last couple of years? It's very kind of almost breathtaking how it occurs. The women who grind cease working. Now some think this is just literally those who were working in a mill. Well, they no longer are. Perhaps they've, uh, they're, they're too old or maybe they've passed away. But others actually see here an analogy to teeth, which I thought was interesting. And that as you continue, especially back at the time when this was written, as you begin to lose teeth, of course, there is less grinding, right? Eating becomes more difficult and more painful. And of course, those who look through the windows see dimly. They said on the Scott and Stan video this week that probably this is about eyesight. And as you begin to have cataracts or glaucoma, how things grow darker. I can remember a few years ago when my father had his cataracts removed and he said to me, I had forgotten just how bright and vivid the world was. Verse 4, when the doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. This one, again, is up to interpretation. Some think that when the doors on the street are shut, it's probably an allusion to one's digestive system and the closing, I'll be brief on this, of one's bodily orifices, the struggle of simply being able to continue in that way. The sound of the grinding is low. One rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Many would suggest that, of course, this is about the difficulty of hearing. And the reality is things begin to get quieter and quieter. If you know anything about hard of being those who are, are hard of hearing, one of the things you realize is this is much more than just a physical deficiency. But that it's incredibly difficult then to engage in conversations, especially if you're in a place like a restaurant that's, that's noisy and you've, you've been with people, right, like this and, and it seems like they're lost and they oftentimes are and the struggle of not being able to engage and the struggle of some of that relationship uh, uh, kind of being broken just as a simple fact of not really being able to hear very well. 
And rising up with the sound of a bird is this illusion likely to how difficult it is to sleep the older that you get. For whatever reason, it is more and more difficult to sleep. I was reminded this week of a parishioner at my church in the Chicago area. She was our oldest parishioner well into her 90s. I visited her several times. And when I went into her apartment, I I thought this was a one-bedroom apartment. Surely she has another room. And after a couple visits, she said, oh, no, this is a studio. And I realized, because she told me that the chair, the recliner in which she was sitting, that that's where she slept. And she said to me later, this is the only place right now that I can find that is comfortable enough for me to be able to get any rest. If you know what it's like when you get tired and you can't sleep, it's not just becoming sleepy. There is a sense of depression and darkness that oftentimes begins to prevail. Are you with me? (laughs) Verse 5. When one is afraid of heights and terrors are in the road, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because all must go to their eternal home and the mourners will go about the streets. Probably when one is afraid of heights, this is about the unsteadiness that we get as we get older. You get more frightened, right? I know people who, who no longer, they used to be able to go up uh, ladders and, and they say, no, I, I, don't wanna, I don't feel good going up a ladder anymore. There's a sense of unsteadiness as you, as you age. The terrors on the road, I mean, this is as apt today as it was 2,000 or, or a few thousand years ago, Right? I mean, the, the, the terror, how things begin to make you fearful, right? And while our mode of transportation has changed, right, from camels to, uh, to, to cabriolets or chevrolets, from our feet to fords, while that has changed, most of our older folks know how the increasing uncertainty of driving, and many of our middle-aged folks here know the difficulty of navigating with one's parents. When's the appropriate time for us to stop driving, perhaps? The grasshopper drags itself along, and well, that's very simple to see. As one's limbs begin to not work as they once did, one's gait begins to change and become labored. Verse 6 and 7 says this. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is broken at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Commentators think that the silver cord and the golden bowl, obviously these are very valuable items, pointing to the reality that life, which is valuable, is beginning to become destroyed, and at one point will be finally destroyed for all of us. The wheel broken at the cistern, the This, of course, and fountain, both of these things are water. Water oftentimes is a symbol for life, that those things begin to dry up, that they return as dust, reminding me of Ash Wednesday when we say to each person in that very sobering worship service, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In many ways, this is an incredibly heavy passage. The propensity for preachers is A, to not preach on this. B, to quickly try to find a happy place for us to go in the midst of it. And or C, to say, but that's not it. 
We're going to be restored, and then we're going to go to heaven. Everything's going to be fine. And, and, and that is true. Please hear me. But it also seems to me that because of the fact that there is this somewhat lengthy passage that is all geared around the realities and the difficulty and the pain of aging, that it would behoove us, rather than just quickly moving on and going past it, to actually sit in what it feels like to grow older. There are few places, if any, in our society where we do that, especially not across age divisions. I mean, if you get in a group of older people, you will hear the aches and the pains and the loss, but usually those are reserved for that particular segment of population. The rest of us, we don't want to hear it. The church is in the exact same place as the rest of society so often. And what we rarely acknowledge is the reality of loss when it comes to, get, to growing old. I was thinking about this with my own mother. I asked her if I could talk about it, which again to me signified this almost taboo nature of talking about the truth, which all of us can see of how difficult it is to grow older. My mother, over the last several years, has had this remarkable decline. She's become a bit more hunched over. Her hip, which is incredibly painful, causes her to bend down like so, where she can, it's very difficult even for her to be able to look up. If you've probably seen her when she's visited. She oftentimes needs a walker, which she, of course, hates to wear, to use. Her leg, over the last few weeks, we don't know why, for some reason, it's just not working very well. It's difficult for her to hear. And one of the most sobering things to, to, for me about all of this is the fact that my children, when they think of grandma, that's who they think of. And I wish it wasn't because in my mind, what I remember is my mom and she was like the energizer bunny. I mean, she's always been short of stature, but she loved it because it helped her weave in and out of people. No one even knew she was there. She was just going, go, go, go. She had so much energy, right? She used to love to run. She could play racquetball. I can remember a, a tennis trophy uh, that we have from when she played. She was just constantly going, constantly going. That's who I remember about mom. And what I realized as I looked over this passage this week, I said, I've done a real cruddy job of simply acknowledging the reality of this loss and the change and how painful I know this has to be for her and for me and for my sister. But I don't think at any time have we just created the space almost just to mourn. So as I thought about this as a church, I realized a couple things. One, 
I don't really even know what to do with this. Other than this, sometimes it's just good to know that you have been seen. And I know that this is not, hey, I want to, you know, I feel sorry for you. And I know that you don't want this, especially not our congregation, older folks. They don't want that. But I want you to know more than I ever have that I see you and I acknowledge the pain and the loss of what you are enduring. At the same time, I want to say, I'm amazed how you keep enduring in the midst of that pain. Many of you keep, you come in here on a Sunday morning, and I know that you didn't have a great morning. But you're here. Some of you can't come here. Maybe you're at home, but you're still watching, and you're still connected, and you're praying. And we applaud what young people do and these great things that they do when they finish these races and do so well in school. And that's all good and right. But I want to applaud you. I want to applaud you for the way that you continue to endure. And I want to say thank you for the gift that you are. In the midst of the struggle and the pain and the loss. And a part of our acknowledging this is that I've said to let you know that you are seen. But a part of the reason why Ecclesiastes, why they talk about this, commentators say, is, is also so that we can begin to realize those who have not yet reached that. And if we are fortunate, all of us will reach that stage. And it's the fact that it should actually begin to change how we live right now. This is why it's so critical that we not ignore it. This is why it's so critical that we not do what our society does, which is just kind of find a different place or don't complain around me or, no, 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 that's too sad. I don't even want to think about that or look at that. No, 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 no. It is because it should change how all of us live now. Verse 1, if we go back to that, it says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. So one of the things that I want to acknowledge this morning is how important it is that we acknowledge the pain of the elderly and that we, as this passage says, invest in the importance of our children. This is the two things. It's not one or the other. It is both of them. Ellen Davis, she suggests that one of the fascinating things about spiritual development is the way that it's connected to the development of our ages. And she suggests, actually, 
That it is best to learn about God, to learn about Jesus when you are younger, because that's when you're creative, that's when you're imaginative, that's when you're playful, and it is easier for you to begin to see God in that fully orbed way, that God of creator, a God for whom things are always new and is always doing something new. She says part of the danger, perhaps, is that if you get older and that's when you begin to understand God, that by that time you've lived enough life that it's easy to begin to see God simply as a judge and not as this creator and this imaginative being that we know that God is, that Scripture tells us it is. And so it is this critical nature. And, and Barna says that 94% of people who are Christians became Christians before they were 18. Which is why we have to invest at the same time in helping to make sure that our children, our covenant children, are remembering. And this is more than just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember God. This is a sense of following God. And so I'm going to get a shameless plug right here, which is that we need people who are committed to helping our covenant children. I'm not going to go into all the details, but the truth is this. Through COVID-19, and now it is harder and harder to find people to step up. And if we want our covenant children to remember their creator in the days of their youth, then we need more to step up. So I encourage you to go out to the gathering space and to figure out what is it, how is it, what are the ways in which we can help our children to remember their creator in the days of their youth. But let me also be abundantly clear. A part of helping our children remember their creator in the days of their youth is by being surrounded not just by children, but by those who are middle-aged and by those who are aged, by our senior or our seasoned saints. It is incredibly important that our children are able to learn from those in the older generation. Just like it's important that people of the older generation learn from our children. This is why intergenerational ministry here at this congregation is so critical. It's important for our older folks. I mean, if you've ever been, as I have, you know, uh, this oftentimes happens around Christmas time, right? When, and when we got older, you know, my sister and I, we were like in our, I don't know, like 20s or something like that. We'd gather together for Christmas. It was fine, but it was a little bit lackadaisical, right? There wasn't that much excitement. And all of a sudden, a baby is born, and hey, that baby gets more presents than you ever got from your mom or dad. And the older they get, it is just this incredible affair, and there's excitement, and there's energy, and there's all of these things that happen, right? And all of a sudden, and I see it out here at times, I see it in the gathering space, I see it in the twinkling of the eye. I'm not kidding, watch some of our older folks, when they begin to see kids come around, as long as they don't run into them, when they are looking at them, you can just see and they say it to us, it's so great to see the kids. We love hearing the kids. But it is as important, if not more, for those of us of younger generations to learn from the generation above us, even simply to be committed to being in the presence of those who are older. I've been thinking about that a lot over the last several weeks. There was a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor named David Lehman. He has some connection to this church. His, uh, 
His daughter is uh, Rachel Jackson, who's a member of ZPC. And he actually, a few years ago, he helped to baptize her or, or one of their kids. David passed away uh, in June. And I, I got to know David over the last few years because um, we had this small Presbyterian pastor group that would get together uh, about once a month. Pastor Scott's a part of it, Pastor Stan, a couple of, a few other pastors. And I love David. He was a remarkable guy, again, about a generation older than me. And David had so much wisdom. Right, he was incredibly wise, but also humble. He was really gentle, but also firm. And just like most vocations, you know, when you get together with colleagues, you know what you begin to do, right? At some point in the conversation, you begin to complain. This is just what happens, right? You get together and you begin to say a few things and, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, you know oh, church politics or the presbytery, or parishioners. That's what Pastor Scott said. And <laughs> and David would just kind of sit back as the elder statesman, and he would kind of just listen. And then at some point in the conversation, David would lean in just a bit, and very artfully, poetically almost remind us of the joy it was to be a pastor. And of the gift it is to be able to minister to the daughters and the sons of God. And David had this remarkable ability to do it in such a way that it wasn't patronizing at all. It was just you knew that you had both been loved and chastised at the same time. At his funeral, the preacher at his funeral had asked, he was part of our smaller group of pastors, and he asked us to, those of us to, to kind of chime in, to send an email or give him a call, say, what did you think about David? What are your thoughts? And and so I, I, I wrote a few things, but here's just a couple of the sentences I wrote. He being David gently was able to always remind us of the beauty of our call and to softly redirect us to the purpose and joy of pastoring. I always left David's presence having felt loved and even corrected in such a way that I wanted to be a better person and pastor. I love being with David. But I also struggled with being with him. David suffered from Parkinson's. And pretty much every month we got together, you could see the decline. Tremors would grow a little bit more. It was harder for him to get his sandwich out of the bag. Difficult for him to locate the straw to his cup. His speech became more labored. And even though his mind was relatively sharp, you could tell that he was frustrated, that he couldn't remember as he used to be able to, that it was just a bit more of a struggle for him to come up with exactly what it was he was wanting to say. You could feel the frustration, and it was difficult to watch him decline because we love David. And if I'm honest, it was difficult 
Because I knew that when I was looking at David, I was looking at the future. Maybe it's not Parkinson's, but whatever it is, if I am fortunate, if we are fortunate to live long enough into our 60s or 70s or 80s, then inevitably you will begin to struggle with what Ecclesiastes 12 is beginning to describe and that will eventually be us so that every time that I was with him, I would watch him. I knew what he was struggling with. When everybody else was talking, I was looking at David And perhaps only this week did I begin to understand the gift that David was to me. Not just because he was wise, not just because he aged gracefully, even amidst all of that, that he did it with an incredible spirit. Those things are absolutely true. But because he allowed us to watch him grow weaker and weaker until his death. Because every time I was faced to be a part of that, every time he gave us that opportunity, when I left, I was reminded of my call and our call to be about the work of God now. Because every time I saw David, I saw in his eyes, I saw his love of being a pastor, I saw his loss, I felt that. But I could also say, you know what, almost for David, who can't do this, for David, who for whom struggling is, struggles to talk or even walk, for all of those things, that in this time for me, because a time will come where it will have to be somebody else, my kids or grandkids or your kids or grandkids, but for now, this is the time to follow God with all of our hearts our mind, our body, and our strength. For those of us who have not yet reached that age, this is the time. This is the day. It is so easy to just say, oh, it'll come later on. I'll do it once I graduate. I'll do it once I get that first job. Oh, wait till I get married. Then I'll start doing it. Oh, I'll wait till the first kid comes. And oh, I'll wait until I'm gone every weekend because we're trying to go this way and that with all the kids. I'll, I'll wait till they go off to college. I'll wait until after retirement. You may not have that time. And I don't know about you, I have never talked to someone who was 70 or 80 who has said to me, man, it took a long time to get here. <laughs> Almost every single one of them will say, I cannot believe I am 70. I cannot believe I am 80. Even I cannot believe I am 90. And so being in the presence of our older folks, I know sometimes you don't want us to think about it like this, but I am here to tell you a part of your gift is to simply remind us by the ways in which you live and you keep going, but by the struggles and the loss that the time to follow God is, is in our youth and in our middle age and even, of course, as we grow older. But the more that we begin to see this, the more that we are open to the reality of what it means to age, the more that we can say, I am determined today, not tomorrow, but today to live for God fully.
We need each other. It's not easy. We have disagreements over music. Don't say anything. (laughs) But how to parent or not parent. How to understand scripture just like this. Well, in my day, this is, oh, what are you doing? There are so many places for us to divide and to decide, you know what, it's just easier to stay with my own age. But Ecclesiastes 12, it puts them together with great intentionality. To our elderly, we love you. We acknowledge you. You are a gift. To our children, remember your creator even now. To all of us in between, live for God fully this day. That the God of all ages may be worshipped by all of the ages. From birth to death, from the first breath to our final breath. For God's glory and for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, the pressures for us to hide from one age group or another age group are immense and oftentimes even unseen. So we pray that you would help us to be a body who acknowledges the reality of, of growing older, the loss who acknowledges the importance of our children remembering you from their youth. To acknowledge the reality that we do not know what tomorrow holds. And so we must live fully for you, heart, mind, body, and strength. It's in your name we pray. Amen.